Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so like Annie was saying, um, May 26th, 2001, Katie and I were married, and then we went on our honeymoon, and the day after we got back from that, we moved here to North Carolina. So we moved to Southeastern, we, we went to school in Southeastern, and very, very shortly after arriving here, uh, we came here to First Baptist Durham, fell in love with it, never looked back. 20 years of covenant fellowship we got to have with the people here at this church. Those are such formative years, such formative days, such formative moments in our lives. Pretty much the better half of our lives. Um, You know, I'm 45, but I still feel young. And when you think of 20 years, 20 years in covenant membership in one location, all of the things that we have learned— all of the relationships that were formed, you know, with overseas and some of our worst moments, some of our, uh, you know, just trying to press through adversity and figure things out. There was, for so many of those days, somebody from the church was there with us. And so we're so thankful for this body. We're so thankful for all the lessons that we've learned. And Andy, we're very thankful for you. Um, as, as I go through this today, there's, there's going to be a couple things that I point out, but really what, what sealed it for us to be here was one of those members' meetings, and I just saw the love of Christ's bride and the love of God's Word and how to live in such a way that we will not compromise regardless of the adversity that is coming. And that absolutely was this irresistible grace that drew us here and let us uh, continue to go forward. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we can really get in uh, and feast on this together. Okay. Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning. Thank you that we get to join in like this. God, open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your word now. Teach us, shape us, fashion us. And oh God, we want to hide your word in our hearts so that we do not sin against you and so that we see you exalted amongst every tribe and tongue. So Father, use us. And it's in the name of Jesus we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today's passage, the way that I want to look at this, we're going to focus mainly on uh, Luke 22, 31 to 34. That's going to be the the main part. But what Andy also read, uh, 54 to 62, that's going to bring in some very significant context. Uh, that we're going to want to look at. But as we look at this, the way that we're going to do is we're just going to look at some initial observations, and then we're going to look at some, some things that, that we want to know, some things that we want to follow, some things that we want to marvel at. And then this will begin churning us and help us look to someone that we want to know, someone that we want to follow, someone that we want to marvel at, and that will just keep churning into this this swirling storm of praise, ever rising, never ceasing to our Creator and our King. So that's how we want to go through this uh, this morning. Okay, so just by way of launching into it, um, there's a man named Edward Lawrence. Edward Lawrence, okay. Edward Lawrence, he was a professor at MIT. Um, he was a uh, mathematician and, and a meteorologist. And Edward Lawrence, um, he, he saw these, these storms, and there was one particular storm that was very destructive. And in that storm, uh, he just thought, you know, if I could, you know, set these mathematical equations that would help me predict these weather patterns, 
then maybe we could prepare better, or maybe we could avoid them altogether. And so that's what he set out to do. And so he, he published a, a paper, it's an academic paper, and it's called Predictability, Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wings in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? Okay, so this is what we know as the butterfly effect. Okay, so that's a term that a lot of people have heard. But the interesting thing was, was his conclusions was that there were so many variables that came in to, to seeing this, this storm that there is no way with any kind of certainty, any kind of accuracy to predict beforehand because absolutely every variable mattered. Every one of them. Even the smallest little thing as a butterfly flapping its wings. It's with that type of mindset that I want to look at this passage today so that we can see that every single thing matters. And it is all orchestrated by a good God according to a good plan. And it all ends with his name being praised amongst all peoples. Okay, so these initial observations, okay, so we get into the chapter 22 here, verse 31, it begins, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Okay, Simon, Simon, I think it's good just to understand, uh, you know, what's happening whenever you see like a, um, something kind of being repeated like this uh, in, in Hebrew literature, it's a, it's kind of a, a device to show emphasis, Okay, and so you'll, you'll see it all throughout the, the canon of Scripture. But when it's in regards to names, it is particularly emphasizing a relational aspect of who it is that is being spoken to or the name that is being called. We, we really see it um, uh, really all throughout. And so uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, you know, you'll hear God call out, you know, Abraham, Abraham, or Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. But you also hear it person to person, right? When, when, when Absalom dies, you just hear David crying out from the depths of his heart, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. But then we can keep going and we can see in the garden, right? When Jesus is praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this type of, of double vocative when it is regarding these names it is very, it's cluing us in on the significance of a relational factor. And so here, we're seeing it. Jesus is the one saying this, Simon, Simon. Okay, this is Simon Peter. This is Peter who he's talking about. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Okay, this is an interesting thing. Okay, so, you know, this word demanded here, this is kind of a hard one to translate because this is the only instance in the entirety of Scripture where this word is found. So it's kind of, it's kind of an enigma. It's kind of hard. So in the ESV, they translate it demanded. Some of the other ones, whether it's uh, CSB, HCSB, um, they'll say ask. Okay, but no matter how you look at it, it's really this imperative term. It's like a, um, it's like a legal term. And so... You know, we, we see Jesus here saying, Satan demanded to have you. Okay, again, it's kind of hard to understand the format in which something like this would happen. We do have an instance, you know, back in the book of Job, where you have this kind of heavenly council, and we do see Satan and the angels, you know, they're, they're, they're appearing uh, before God, and God says, consider my servant Job. 
it's hard to know if that is the same thing that is happening here, but that is an instance where something like this has happened before. Regardless, what we can see in this point is that Jesus is telling Simon, okay, behold, Satan demanded to have you, and the you here is plural, okay? So this, if we're looking at the context of of what's happening here, all the disciples are together at this point. And so Jesus is kind of like signaling to Simon, you know, that Jesus has demanded to have you, okay? So the you all, the you all here is really uh, what, what is being said, but Jesus is specifically talking to Simon here, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Okay, so as we look at this, there's, there's some things that we want to know, okay? So the two things that I think we really, really want to know here is, number one, you have Satan the accuser, okay? You have Satan the accuser, but then you have Jesus the intercessor, okay? So these are the two things we really want to hold on that we really want to know at this point. Satan is the, the accuser, okay? Overseas, where uh, some of the places that we have served, they, they do a lot of these things wherever um, they're, they're processing certain types of food or grain. There's just these big drying slabs. I mean, they're just huge slabs of concrete, or sometimes they're of clay, and there's uh, little mats that they'll put stuff on. So whether it's rice, whether it's dried fish, whether it's coffee, whatever it is that they're processing— They'll, uh, they'll dry it out on these, these huge drying beds, um, just waiting for, you know, the sun to dry them out. Well, at the end of it, you go through the, the sifting process. So whatever is there, you take this big pile of it. So you'll take the pile of whatever it is, and then you'll kind of put it through a sieve, uh, whatever it is. And what the sieve does is it lets that what you want, right, the good stuff to fall through, But what it does is it reveals all of the other stuff that is there. This is the stuff that a lot of times, just on on initial perception, you wouldn't see it. Whether it's stones, little pieces of gravel, whether it's bugs, something that the wind blew in, whatever it is, when you put things through that sieve, that is what is left. And it is always surprising how much of the stuff that you don't want to be there is there. And I think that is at the heart of what Satan is wanting to reveal right here. Putting Peter through this kind of sifting, putting the disciples through this kind of sifting, will very easily reveal all of those things that we don't want. Now, I think an important thing I think for us to note and we want to hold on to is that sifting is not bad. It's not bad at all. It's actually very, very useful because it helps us see these things that we didn't really necessarily know that were there or that we didn't want revealed that were there. And that is what happens through the sifting here. So we have Jesus, or we have Satan, who's who's going through this, uh, putting them through the sifting process. And what he does is he's going to reveal this weakness, this problem, this sin in Peter. And then he turns as the accuser, and that is what is used, uh, basically, to, to try to uh, damn those who are, who are wanting to follow Jesus and be these, these, these ones who give their lives to following him. And even here, Peter, you can see the struggle that he's having. He's saying, Lord, I'm, really, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Like, he can't imagine that this sifting is going to stop him, that this sifting is going to be too much that he can handle. Oh, but we're going to quickly see that that's not true. That's not the case at all. Okay, so we have 
Satan the accuser here. And then we have Jesus the intercessor. Now, I think what is so amazing here is the extent to which Jesus understands the situation, knows exactly what is about to happen, knows what's in Peter's heart. And in the midst of this, he says, you know, yep, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Okay, so yes, the sifting is going to come. Yes, very, very real and bad sin is about to be uh, revealed. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is already totally aware of this. Totally. Okay, so these are the things that we always want to remember because we're going to have very similar to these types of situations in our lives and we're going to see in just a, a couple minutes how the Lord uses this, these. Okay, so the two things that we want to really hold on for some things to follow, okay, number one is to strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is not in this point saying, when you go through this, make sure nobody else ever knows about it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail here. So we can see that here. We can see that in John 17, right? We also see this uh, in Hebrews where he, is, he ever lives to intercede for us. And in John 17, it's not just the immediate disciples that he's praying for. It's for all those who will one day believe in Jesus as well. That covers future generations. That covers us. And that covers those who come after us. That is so important for us to understand the depth to which he knows our hearts, the depth to which he knows our falling, but the depth to which we need to know that our intercessor ever lives to intercede for us. And because of that, we can have full faith that if we do fall, when we turn again, we don't want to hide that. We want to use that because that is a moment that matters, that, that is very significant in this propelling God's people to the nations. So we're going to hold on to that, okay? So the two things that we want to follow, number one is, you know, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then number two, it's not as direct here, but we want to bring it in at Psalm 119.11. Okay, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number one, that helps us uh, before we sin. But number two, it helps us not remain in it. Okay, and so just a minute, we'll kind of see how God's word just continues to do this. So we have to live by God's word. We have to. When we live by God's word, we have everything that we need to go through these times of sifting everything that we need. And if there are times when maybe we don't do so well, we see the significance of our brothers and sisters around us and how the Lord uses them to restore us into the place that he wants us so that we can continue to remain engaged in the two journeys, both the internal journey and the external journey of seeing Christ exalted amongst every tribe and tongue. Okay? So we have the things to know, two things to follow, and then what this propels us into is the two things to be amazed at. Okay, and this is where I want us to look at the, the, the second passage of Scripture uh, that, that Andy read. So this is the verses 54 through 62. And here we see something very, very uh, amazing. 
that, that comes about. Verse 54, Then they seized him and led him away, and bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then he went out and wept bitterly. What I want us to hone in here first is, Jesus had this interaction with Peter long before that this happened. Well, actually, I mean, this is the same night. (laughs) So before this happened, Jesus had this interaction. And then when it happened, immediately Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Immediately Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Now that remembering the word of the Lord is also set in Jesus at that time looking directly at Peter in the midst of this circumstance. Now, it is hard for us to truly imagine all that Peter felt, and I don't think he just felt things right there. I think this is something that he remembered for the rest of his life. We see that immediately after this, he does, he goes out and he weeps, he, he weeps bitterly, bitterly, okay? This is not just, just, oh, I made a mistake. He understands what he did. There's so much shame that comes in this moment. There's so much fear of what he just did, the way that he just denied his Lord and his Savior. And there's so much guilt. Now imagine that alone could break a person. But at the same time that he's remembering these words that Jesus told him that he was going to, uh, you know, uh, deny him three times, you know what else he's remembering? Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's not going to forget that. Oh, he's going to feel so encumbered by all of the emotions that come with such real and dirty and deep sin. But at the same time, what he is also is going to remember is Jesus's words and then Jesus's face shining upon him. We can't miss the significance of Jesus's stare in that moment. If we go all the way back to Numbers chapter 6, we get the Aaronic blessing. Okay, the priestly uh, blessing. This is uh, chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Oh, we should marvel at this. That in the midst of such deep and gross sin, this blessing is still being incurred onto Peter. He saw the Lord's face in the midst of that. How do we apply that today? What do we do with that? 
Okay, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. And what we see at this time, this is a time where the word of the Lord was rare amongst his people. But in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Our Savior's face shines upon us through his word. This is the ultimate blessing that we have always wanted, that God's people have always wanted. And now we can see that it comes through his word to his people. So it doesn't matter the, the, the situation. Here we see it with Peter. There's another really awesome example of this with Stephen. He is in the midst of being stoned. He is literally being bludgeoned with stones. And in the midst of this, what does he see? He sees Jesus standing. Now this is, a, this, is, this is incredible because very rarely in the New Testament after the resurrection do you see Jesus standing. The majority of the time he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But in this scenario, when Stephen is going through the hardest possible trial that anybody can go through, what does he see? He sees his Lord. And boom, that blessing of his face shining upon him. It's like he, okay, he is aware of the stones going on. There's no way to not be aware of that, right? But it's like he's not even paying attention to it. What are his eyes fixed on? His Savior. This is the kind of people we want to be. This is the kind of lives that we want to live, where it doesn't matter what is going on. But in the midst of it all, we have so hidden God's word in our heart that regardless of the moment, Regardless of the circumstance, what we want is to see our King, see our Christ, to see our Savior. This is the kind of thing that transforms communities. This is what transforms lives. This is what transforms nations. Imagine if every one of us in this building lived in such a way that day by day by day, one of our greatest aspirations was to take God's word and hide it in our hearts so that we could go out and live in such a way that as we sought to see Christ exalted amongst every tribe and tongue, it didn't matter what adversity that we ran into. Psalm 119, 91 and 92, what we see is all of these afflictions, all of these difficulties, they are the Lord's servants. They all matter, every one of them. And God is using them to build up in us a testimony for his name. There is nothing that we should take, take lightly. Nothing we should treat like it doesn't matter. We have an incredible sovereign God that is orchestrating this symphony of all circumstances, of all creation, coming together to bring about this swirling storm of praise for the sake of his name. And yes, the mundane things that we do on a day-by-day -day basis, they matter. Going to school, the tests, the studying, it matters. Buying groceries, the time spent with children who just don't really think that we're wise in our instruction and trying to stick it out with them and helping them see the significance of this. It all matters. 
Peter's situation, what he went through, his falling, even in the midst of that, it still matters because the Lord was using that to establish in him a testimony for the brothers. Now, I remember after uh, Katie and I, we had our, our, our first term on the field. Um, man, we thought we were doing so well. We really thought we were doing so well. And it got time to the end of that. This is about 2007. We'd been on the field probably about three and a half years um, uh, at this point when it was time to come back. We just, um, I, I think as soon as we got on the airplane to, to come back and, you know, some of the, the responsibilities, they're, they're just not heavy upon you anymore. I think that's one of those moments where you realize how much weight you have been bearing and those things that are in the in the sieve that you thought you were pure and you thought they were so good there was all of these little things that were kind of sitting there at the top of the sieve that we began to realize okay this wasn't healthy this wasn't good um we were struggling in more ways than i i think than we were aware of um but definitely more than uh we wanted to admit um, it was years later, Katie went back and just looked at her journal and saw some of the difficult hours, um, pure thoughts that were put down on paper and some of the struggles uh, that she was having at that time. Now, I remember coming back and I, I remember Andy sitting in your office with you just, just discussing this. And I, 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 I don't remember how we launched into it, but I remember you saying you, just, you knew you weren't supposed to be a missionary. Um, after your couple years in Japan. I remember you saying that. And somehow through the, the, that little moment, the moment that I had in the office, somehow I knew that I was supposed to be one. How did that happen? I don't know. But I knew that that moment absolutely mattered. And in the midst of being able to pour out and saying, I am really struggling with bitterness. I am really struggling with contentment. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I don't have joy. I thought going out and serving this way, I would be filled with joy. I wasn't. And in the midst of that, you gave me the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I'll tell you, you don't even have to read the book. Just that title, right? Right? How do you, I mean, you're, you're down in the dopes, you're mopey, and you just think about it. Why am I like this? I have that rare jewel of Christian contentment. But read the book. <laughs> It's a good book, and it's just this, it's an exegesis, basically, you know, of, of Philippians 4, and you're, Paul's telling us that he had to learn to be content in all things. Oh, we were going through such a process. Um, those are just in the early days. There was so much process that we had to go through, and boy, I would love to say that we've got it all figured out. No, <laughs> so much grumbling still, but you know when we are, when we're in that condition, you know what it means? That we're not rightfully meditating on the words that we are supposed to have in our hearts that helps us see Christ in the midst of these circumstances. Don't we want to be like a Stephen? That it doesn't matter what's going on around us, that the, the, the difficulties we're not even giving that attention to because our eyes are so fixed on our Savior. This is what uh, Hebrews 12 is all about. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, right? You got the... the uh, you know, the hall of faith there in Hebrews 11. And you got all these people who did the, all these incredible things by faith. And then in Hebrews 12, it's almost like you got this sinner trying to run a race. 
But what happens is the, is the Bible says, you know, therefore we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, okay? So yes, they're examples of faith, but it's also people can, in the immediate presence can also be these great heroes of faith that help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that sin that so easily entangles, it's gone. It's cast off so that we can run with endurance the race marked out for us. God's word does this, and we do this for each other. And so I know that right now the church is, is uh, talking about, you know, like the, the church plant in the RTP area, getting, uh, being able to sit in on the class this morning was absolutely awesome. I can just tell you up front, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be absolutely nothing easy about it. So now get God's word into your heart because when that adversity comes, it is so beautiful to see Christ's face in the midst of it. Okay, that's in regard to church planting. But what about just going home at the end of this and trying to figure out how am I going to tend to this? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to answer this question? We need to make sure that for all of life, faith, and practice, that it is God's word that is guiding us. And that absolutely will compel us to spur one another on as we seek uh, to just live out the commands of God uh, in the every mundane, daily uh, tasks of life that he gives us. Okay, so these things to be amazed at, okay? The ironic blessing, seeing the Lord through his word, these things to know, things to follow, things to be amazed at, they're always leading us on to the one, to know, to follow, to be amazed at. We know our Savior through his word. We cannot get enough of it. We cannot. It can come in the form of reading, right? The public reading of scripture. We can do it together as families in our, in our family devotions. It can come through scripture memorization, Again, our, our church is exemplary in this. Being able to uh, just engage with the extended memorization of Scripture. This is something that this church has stood for for many, many years. Don't let that go by the white wayside that we don't engage. Every one of us needs that. And if so, we will be blessed in the midst of whatever God sends our way. Okay, so these are someone to know. Uh, we're always being directed to that. Someone to follow. Okay, there are so many things that the, the Lord puts on our past, so many people. Okay, if we're even thinking through, okay, this is Peter. This is Peter uh, who went through this. Now, another, th- no, another thing that the church is, is doing is going through the book of, of Mark, going through the book of Mark together. Okay. If we just go back and we look at who Mark was, okay, Mark was not one of the 12 apostles, okay, but yet he wrote this gospel. Where did he get the information from the gospel? From the feet of Peter, okay? So here you have Peter who has this kind of testimony of knowing what it's like to kind of fall, to not do so well in an area, and also be given this charge to strengthen your brothers. Let's go back and remember a little bit about John Mark, okay? Remember when, uh, you know, Paul, he goes, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they set on the first missionary journey. You know, who goes with them? It's John Mark. Did John Mark do very well? No. After a short amount of time, he's gone. He, ha- he returns back home. He goes back to Jerusalem. It, 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 was, it was hard for him. It was a lot. There was a lot that they were experiencing. When he goes back home, where does he go? 
goes to sit at the feet of Peter. Now, if there is anybody that knows what it's like to fall, if there's anybody that knows the the difficulties of what it's like to, in the midst of that, to get back up, to fix your eyes on Christ, and continue to follow him, it is Peter. And Peter then invests in Mark in such a way so that later, when it's time for the second missionary journey, Mark says, okay, I'm back in. I'm back in, guys. Well, Paul didn't like it very much, right? So much so that it led to a sharp uh, disagreement between uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they split off, uh, you know, so Paul and Silas, they go forward, but then Barnabas and Mark, they sent off. And so Mark, yeah, he had had his, his dark days, but then he goes forward. And later, Paul even recognizes the significant change in Mark, and he even says, you know, and also bring to me Mark, for he's useful to me. So we can see, yes, there are times in our life where, my goodness, we might not have done so well. Some of us might be in that position right now. And I beg you, don't give up. Now more than ever is when you need God's word. There is no greater blessing that can be having, that that can come to you in the sense of a, a circumstance, whatever it is that you're going through, to see Christ. And he will reveal himself through his word. So this is the kind of people we want to be for each other, to spur each other on. Now, just like what Edward Lawrence was, was looking at with, uh, in regards to the storm, if we come and we just see how all of this is happening, we already know where this is all going. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We already know that all of creation is praising our Creator right now. Psalm 19 is so crystal clear. Um, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. All the earth. This is happening. This chorus is already going on now. So now what we get to join in is with all of creation, all of the saints that have gone before us, and we get to run going forward. There are so many peoples in this world right now that do not have a healthy church planted amongst them. The Buryat peoples of uh, of Mongolia. There's there's the the Asahe, the Ani, there's the Labapul. All of these people groups that are in East Asia, there's so many in the Middle East. If we join in to this great, incredible chorus, if we join into this great, incredible work of seeing Christ exalted amongst all nations, then we will realize we are to play an important part in this. Some are to go. Some are, some are to stay. Some are to be part of the senders, but some are to go. And so I pray that if we look at these uh, these conditions of what it means to be a good missionary. Very rarely do people look at John Mark and see how he fell. But do you know where it started for him? If we go back and we see the first instance uh, where he is uh, basically shows up in Acts, it is at a time where Peter is in jail. Peter is in jail and there's a church in Jerusalem. It is the middle of the night and they are together and they are praying together that, that they're praying for Peter is what they're praying at that time. And that happens at the home of John Mark's mother. John Mark is this young guy that this is 
the type of environment that he is growing in. Now, I know that that's exactly how this church functions. I know that this church is praying for the nations. This church has sent out so many people, and there's more people that are going to continue to go. So don't take any prayer service for granted, any BFL class, any home group. Don't take any of it for granted. Get to know each other, because in many cases, we might not be aware of it yet, we're going to go together. Some of the people here, God's going to clump together to go and do this. And it is going to be absolutely amazing when we see this chorus all join together. Now, there's a really good, uh, there's a really good book uh, that was recently written, okay? It's called The Glory Now Revealed, okay? Really good book, okay? And, and the author in this book does an incredible job of showing using scripture, that one day when we get to be in the presence of our Lord, all of these little moments that were all being orchestrated together for all of eternity, or all of times past, let me put it that way, they are all interconnected and they are all meant to bring together this, 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 this incredible display of God's glory so that he can be known, he can be praised, he can be worshipped. And this is going to join in together with this, uh, with this ever-increasing, uh, until the Lord returns, uh, ever-increasing choir, this chorus of people made up of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the thing that I want to just leave here at the end, to go along with that, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, read, uh, he wrote, The End for Which uh, God Created the World. Uh, and John Piper, he had a commentary on that. And in his commentary, he has like this 150-page introduction to Edwards' book. But then he, as he's going through Edwards' book, he has this commentary. And I want to I read what Piper says. He says, Since God is infinite, the creature cannot fathom the totality of his greatness or comprehend his infinite beauty or delight in all that he is. This is, this is God. Rather, it will take eternity for us to know and to enjoy all that God is. There will never be a time when there is no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. So that that means even in the scope of eternity, we will forever know our creator and king in new ways. We will ever have more things to praise him for. We will ever have more reasons, more things to know, more things to sing about, to exalt about, to talk about, to live about, and to reflect. And we will be able to do it this with ever-increasing strength. This is what eternity has in store for us. Now, the incredible thing is, that just doesn't begin then. It's already begun. This chorus is already going forward. We see these psalms of ascent, right? These, these people, they're, they're, they're going to Mount Zion. They're going to, uh, to Jerusalem. And as they go, they're wanting to sing these praises. Oh, what a picture of what it is with us too. We are on our way to Zion. And as we go, we sing. What incredible songs that we're doing here on this side. Oh, there's some that are going to be even, can't even imagine yet. This is what we are engaged in. And forever there is going to be this, this eternal crescendo as we know our Lord more, 
and more and more people join in. And now what we get to do together as we come and exalt him together, it is this foretaste of glory divine. And it was with this that I want to pray for us and just go ahead and close this morning. Oh, Father, you are so good. The fact that we get to be the ones who get to come together, that we get to sit under the teaching of our pastor, of Andy Davis, how faithful he is to know your word, how faithful he is to teach your word, and how faithful he is to get us to just hide it in our hearts so that we can live it out. Now, God, I know that there are people here that are going through some hard, hard circumstances. No, Father, our prayer is that in the midst of those, that your face will shine upon them. That us in all of our circumstances, that your face will shine upon us. We don't give attention to these, these difficulties, but instead we understand that they're opportunities. They're things that you are establishing in us to give us a testimony that we can use for the sake of your name. And God, we know that in Psalm 84 that you know, all those who are set on pilgrimage, you lead us to the valley of weeping. And when we're there, those tears can turn into those springs of joy that not only come from a heart that has been gripped by you, but they also lead to these wells and springs that fellow pilgrims can come and drink from. God, I know that we've all got things in our lives that we wish other people didn't know about. But God, I pray that we don't hide them. But instead, we use them as opportunities for your glory, knowing that there are fellow pilgrims that are struggling as well. So God, we can have full assurance that you, our intercessor, is there. If we are yours, nothing can take us out of your hand. If you are for us, nothing can be against us. So God, we can live with assurance and we can live with faith and we can live with these lives to see you exalted. So, oh God, use us, every single one of us, to see you exalted amongst every tribe and tongue. You are a good God and we love you and we thank you so much. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, Lord. Amen.